Hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. This podcast is just going to be an hour of us saying hello to each other in different voices. Oh. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. Um, Skeeter. Oh. Skeeter just hopped on the bed. Skeeter wants to be a part of it. How are you? Oh, well, how are you? How am I, you ask? Baruch Hashem. The weather is cooling down. I'm able to take walks in the cool morning air. That's an immediate boost in life quality. Oh my God, I can't believe my cat is trying to attack my wall calendar right now. I put it so high up thinking he would ignore it. And now he's obsessed with it. There's something particularly enticing about the wall calendar? Just its existence. (laughs) The fact that it moves and makes a papery noise when he attacks it. Okay, yeah. Oh, big chunk update. Big update on the cat. He's finally a fully grown man because he finally brought us a live mouse. So he has achieved full cat, you know, he's fully cooked. He didn't kill it. He just kept dragging it around the room. Eventually it ran back into the wall. So that's the mouse update. So that's happening, you know, still still fucking Animal Crossing, crossing my heart out, cross my heart and hope to die. What a weird part of a children's rhyme. Cross my heart and hope to die. Yeah. Yeah. That whole... That whole little litany is pretty weird. Yeah, yeah, they're all real weird. Yeah, so so stuff is good around here. I feel really proud of the last episode we made. Oh, you liked it? Yeah? Yeah. It was good? Yeah, I thought yeah. it was good. And I feel like that switching, switching our pot around a little bit has like invigorated me with a new joie de vivre. Yeah, it's like we're playing with a whole different canvas now. Exactly, exactly. It's like we get to think about stuff in whole new ways. For those of you who did not see my tweet, we are, for a little while at least, experimenting with releasing one approximately hour-long episode a week instead of two half-hour episodes. So for regular listeners, that means you'll be getting twice the pod for free. And for patrons, it means you'll be getting the same amount of pod. It just won't be exclusive to you. So one of the fun things that we're doing is now for this episode, we collaborated on preparing for a topic instead of one of us directing the episode. So that in itself is sort of like a new, exciting angle to bring to the pod. So yeah, I feel like my pod creative juices are are flowing again yeah it's a whole new format i think it's exciting it's a bit of a challenge yeah it allows us hopefully to go a little bit deeper into particular sugiot and also just you know do a little bit more collab rather than back and forth independent research that we've been doing right and i imagine it'll cut down on the number of times we say that could be a whole other episode uh we'll see we'll see we'll see that uh, that remains to be seen michael yes Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Oh, what's going on in my life? What's what's happening? Lotta sitting on the porch in the rocking chair. Oh. Yes. Cute. That sounds nice. You'd love this porch. Oh yeah, I bet. I hope to see it one day. You will see it. Anytime you want, you just come on over and you can see it. I know. It's hard. It's really hard. If I had a car, I think I would have been there three times already. But yeah. Only my boyfriend has a car that I occasionally get to use, so it's hard to make the trip. Yeah, well, one day perhaps you'll have a car or perhaps your boyfriend will have an extra car. That's really <laughs> one something will happen. Something will happen. You'll see it. Hopefully there'll be another rocking chair for you and everyone will have a personal rocker. <laughs> 
Right. A universal wraparound porch bill will be uh, passed in the House and Senate. Oh. Mandatory wraparound porches for all domiciles. I really think that would like help the New England psyche. <laughs> New England is is getting it's not quite into my favorite time of year yet, but we're really getting there. There's getting like this there. perfect window from the end of August to maybe mid October where it's just like absolutely pristine weather, just like perfect, not too hot, not too cold. The rest of the time something is wrong with the weather. Yes, yes. But this is actually the best time of the year because we're anticipating the best time of the year. So this right. that which makes this the best time of the year. <laughs> if you think about it. Anticipation. That's very, there's nothing so whole as a broken heart. It's actually the longing for the weather that connects us to the weather. Okay, we haven't even got into the meat of the episode yet, and I feel like we're getting into the meat of the episode. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, we're longing for the meat of the episode. <laughs> uh, I'll just say I'm fine. Oh. I'm doing good. I have a wraparound porch. It's the only material thing I've ever wanted in my life. Wow, and you've done it. And I've done it, so... Where do you go from here? I don't know, probably cyclical depression. Mm, Great. You know, something like that. <laughs> we love that on this pod. Um, no, I don't know. I grow spiritually. That is what All I do. All right, well, that sounds like a plan. Well, we have a treat for our we listeners. We have a treat, but before we start diving into the treat which we're all longing for i just wanted to start out by saying thank you to all our wonderful patrons who are supporting us in this grand pod experiment and invite you if you benefit from the pod if you enjoy our ramblings you can support us in continuing to make this content by going to patreon.com slash hi how are you to become a patron of the show and while we won't be making patron episodes for a little bit there's still a backlog of like at least 75 patron episodes for you to listen to there. So if you're able to, we would appreciate your support so much. And now, the meat of the episode. Okay, we are starting a new series. A new series. While we already have an ongoing series. Series within series. Yes, we have a new series. We recently started reading the book, God is Here, Reimagining the Divine by Toba Spitzer, recommended to me by a rabbi friend who I'm working on a Talmud project that I alluded to probably a year ago that is still in the works. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> yeah. But it is an interesting little book. Yes. Tell me, Michael, this book was was suggested by you as a pod project. What enticed yes. you to make us talk about this book? Well, I think the book, it's, it's for an audience that I think I'm definitely a member of, and perhaps a lot of people who listen to the pod are a member of, which is like kind of secular Jews, or maybe not secular, that's not the right word, but like Jews who are in the secular world, but have an interest uh -huh. in Judaism and feel like they wish they could have a connection, but feel like it's not logical for them to. Right. I would say even it's not just for Jews, it's for anyone afflicted by Pomo FOMO. Pomo FOMO? What's the P in Pomo? Postmodern fear of missing out on God. <laughs> yes, yes. And I feel like in some ways it uses some postmodern, like if you're familiar with thinking about language as metaphor, mm -hmm. you know, if you're deep in those Foucault weeds, which I know really nothing about and it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter. But if, if you kind of, if you're into that postmodern stuff, then I feel like this is a book that is not academic, not hard to read, and can get you thinking about God in different ways. 
that uh, might be helpful. Right, which is part of what we'll be exploring in this series. Yes, exactly. So a fundamental quality of this book is that it starts out with some introductory chapters about God as metaphor, which we'll be talking about today, and then spends most of the rest of the book exploring different metaphorical lenses on God in each chapter. So we're going to do an episode or two per metaphor, per God metaphor, to talk about our own perspectives on them and and our thoughts about the book. So today we're going to be talking about God as water, which we'll get into later after we finish talking about the book itself. Yes, that's right. So let's talk about God as metaphor. I think the introduction and her first chapter in this book that talks about what she's trying to do are a lot of like the conceptual meat and the rest of the book just kind of dives into the, like different types of ways of thinking about God. And so that conceptual meat, let's go through it. Hava, what do you think? <laughs> okay, so I started out the introduction to this book. In a lot of ways, it felt like a book really aimed at a former version of myself. I think I've talked about this on the pod before, but when I first moved to Providence, so quite a few years ago now, I had this feeling that... I had lost my ability to believe in things. Like I believed in so many things as a kid, both religious and non-religious, that just like infused me with so much energy, sometimes in negative ways, sometimes in positive ways. But I felt like I just had become so cynical that even though I wanted to break out of that cynicism, I couldn't break the habit of it. And so it was really hard for me to engage with spirituality because that little cynical voice in my brain was always poking holes in everything. When you're in that cynical state of mind, which I've definitely been in before, mm -hmm. did you believe in like, quote unquote, science? Were you like, yeah, electrons are real, but all this God stuff isn't? I feel like because I've always been of a mystical bent, I feel like I always had this sort of attitude that like, you know, probably God and like other spiritual experiences are like out there in the world because obviously we're all one and everything is connected, yada, yada. But like, that's not for me. I could never experience that or like intentionally do anything that gives me a feeling of connectedness to the divine. I can only like know about it in an abstract sense. All right. You're not starting from like the super nihilistic. Yeah. I mean, courtesy of a vast amount of LSD and mushrooms. Oh, yeah, yeah. That helps. Step one. I had that advantage to keep me in a very mystical place even when I was cynical. Yeah, we talk we talk about postmodern depression and, and nihilism. I think there's different levels, so it's good to know what level you were at of, like, uh, right, suffering. Right, level six. Yeah, you were level six. Yeah, some people are, like, level ten, so... But anyway, continue. Um. Yeah, so this book sort of starts out addressing itself to like people who struggle with the idea of a big strong dude in the sky version of god which the book rightly says i think we all struggle with i mean i objected to this a little bit because i think even people who are comfortable thinking of god as a big strong dude in the sky still have a metaphorical approach to god you know i think there are many jews of traditional backgrounds who are like okay with thinking of God as a big strong dude in the sky, but they are also approaching that as metaphor. Sure. Which maybe is part of Toba's point here is that that's just one metaphor amongst our arsenal 
of God metaphors. Yeah, she talks about how she's going to introduce all these different metaphors that might be more approachable. But I think what was more powerful for also like a younger version of me, like I was more like all this God stuff is bullshit, but I believe in electrons. You know, right. Like, so that I don't know what that that's like level five or level seven. I don't know <laughs> what that is. But what she does in, in a way that is very readable is just a form of deconstruction where she like instead of just giving you all these different metaphors and just starting from a place where like, well, you believe in God, you just don't like this current metaphor of God. Let me give you some other historical examples of God. Let me first like show you why thinking about God as a metaphor is valid and how it's in some ways equivalent to what people do in science. She made this observation quoting someone that science isn't the process of uncovering pre-existing truths. It's the process of observing the world and formulating truths about your observations. Which is, a, I feel like, a callback to our math episode with Ada Morse when we talked about Go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear more about this. But we talked about whether math is detected or invented. Basically, like, is the number two out there somewhere built into the fabric of the universe? Or did we come up with the number two? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. I, I won't get sidemarked into thinking about the number two specifically. <laughs> but anyway, I, I think there is some truth in that. I think like the metaphors we use to describe the physical world around us have become more precise in certain ways because we observe new things about the stuff around us. And so now instead of having just atoms, we have protons and electrons. And instead of an electron as a particle, whatever, you have the particle and the wave right. and that kind of stuff. And all of it is just language to help us understand how it behaves as we're able to perceive it. It isn't mm -hmm. actually true. It doesn't pre-exist. And so she kind of equates that to the human belief and description of love or good and evil and how we say like love is a battlefield or love is like painful or love is beautiful or it's blissful. And we have all these different ways of describing love, but none of those descriptions are love itself. Mm -hmm. We just experience this thing called love and then we create metaphors to talk about it. Right. And so Toba Spitzer is arguing that we should be doing something similar with God. If we all start from a place that there is something spiritual that we are experiencing, then we can construct these different metaphors to be able to communicate those experiences to each other, and those can be more beneficial than other ones. Right. Which really, thinking about it that way now, like, really still helps me have new thoughts about God. Like I was just thinking while you were saying that, that I often unconsciously think of God or the divine or the spiritual as like something that has to be sort of like extra to the natural world, right? I don't know, like I, I don't immediately think like, oh, my loving friendships are like a kind of God phenomena that yeah, I experience. Yeah. But when I stop to think about it, I, I do think that they are. And thinking about that stuff that you were just saying about, like, we experience something and then we sort of create metaphors to help us talk about it sort of reminds me that there's all kinds of phenomena happening all the time that I'm thinking, oh, this is just 
normal, but actually normal is sort of like uh, one of the worst metaphors for God. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. She talks about this. She says that the earlier parts of Tanakh, God is very personal and very present and intertwined and kind of pops up and appears almost at random at normal moments in life. Mm-hmm. Then something happens where God becomes a distant, this distant thing in the future that like the metaphysical and the physical become detached and we start thinking of God as being far removed but yeah, yeah, I think it's cool to, I mean, I hate this phrase, like, the like that God is like a living God, just because I associate it with, uh, like, <laughs> Protestant Christianity. Sure. But, you know, they probably just, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery, I guess. They're the imitators, by the way, just to be very clear. The flattery is dubious. One of the things she brings up that I thought was really cool was this idea around the second commandment. You shouldn't worship graven images. Mm-hmm. She says, like, what's that all about? Why do we not worship graven images? And she links it to the idea of the metaphor, really the object, this image, this object is like a metaphor for God, and you're confusing the metaphor for the thing that it's trying to point to. Mm-hmm. And when you make that confusion, you're kind of, in some sense, breaking a commandment. I was thinking about that in terms of these metaphors, the metaphor of the God in the sky is our all-powerful being. If you confuse that metaphor for what God is, it is like worshiping a graven image. And comparing that to the closest sign we have for God, like the one that's supposed to be at least metaphysically the closest to God is, you know, the tetragrammaton, mm-hmm. which is unpronounceable and we avoid pronouncing. So it's again, it's like even the even the symbol we have that is the closest to the source, we avoid trying to say and is impronounceable to begin with. Right. So, like, this is old news that you can't really ever describe God. So, focusing mm-hmm. on any one metaphor and believing it as the actual thing that God is, is the wrong approach. And therefore, thinking about this old-fashioned metaphor of the God in the sky is an all-powerful being is is not necessarily the way to go. Right. I mean, I feel like it's almost, you can sort of think about how quickly, honestly, the Torah moves from extremely personal God or moves between extremely personal God and sort of extremely transcendent God. And it feels like, you know, people back then like figured out really quickly. They were like, wait a second, this dude in the sky thing is like breaking down. We need to like mix some some transcendent abstract shit in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, my bastardization of the scientific process. You observe some stuff. You have your metaphor for describing it. Like sun goes around the earth. You observe more. And then you like have to modify the metaphor or add a new metaphor. Mm-hmm. And that may be what's happening in Tanakh. This just in, Michael is a, a flat Earth geocentric universe, sir. Yes. Science update. Science update. Best metaphor to describe the Earth. Works every time. Flat Earth. <laughs> Scientists hate this one crazy trick. I would love it if someone was like, okay, I'm actually going to imagine that the world is flat and I'm going to like rebuild all the celestial models so that they work. You know what I mean? From With that perspective, I would love to see that. Right. When you see those pictures from space, you're just seeing one side of the Earth and behind it is nothing. Oh, that'd be so cool. Like, you know how like before the whole Earth goes around the sun, they used to think like the planets moved in like spirals around the Earth because right. they would go in retrograde and stuff. I want to see what it would look like if the world was flat. 
I want right. to see if someone if someone tried to make it work as much as possible. Yes, yes, that's my dream. That's that's my wish, my Hanukkah wish. <sighs> um, great. I think we're ripe to get into our first metaphor of the book. All right. Yes, let's do it. So the first metaphor that Toba brings in this book in a chapter called "Drinking from God," which felt highly erotic not to me until now you weirdo <laughs> just to imagine like drinking from someone like drinking their being to imagine consuming someone in any way is like very sexual i think or mm. very erotic if you rather no you're just a pervert i just imagine a cup <laughs> i just imagine a little sippy cup and you don't find okay like imagine your girlfriend as a sippy cup right now and that's just like zero erotic content to you. Uh, You're saying your girlfriend is not a sexy sippy cup? Wait, wait. <laughs> is I, what I'm hearing? Uh, I don't. I don't know how you got there, <laughs> but there are things I choose not to reveal. So, so anything involving sippy cups, I, I just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> wow, really adding to the lore of the show here. Um, anyway, <laughs> returning to our topic. So, uh, Toba has this chapter about God as water, and she brings all these different examples of different times in the Torah where water really comes up. Uh, she starts off by talking about the sort of the spirit of God floating or rushing above the waters before the creation of the world. She talks about baby Moses being put in the Nile, just like all these really important moments of water. And then in the second half of the chapter, sort of brings some examples of what she calls water names for the divine, like well of liberation or fount of living waters, which are sort of divine titles that are used for God at different times in the Torah. The whole chapter is sort of an exercise in seeing like, okay, this is how water functions in biblical narrative, and this is how God is talked about as water. So like, how can I experience God as water in my own life? Yeah, that's that that, that that's a good uh yep, that that's what she does. <laughs> the magic of podcast co-hosting people. There you go. That's it. I was really into her talking about water as persuasive power. Mm. Like you're floating down a river. The river is like, what's the best way to be living your life in that moment? How you should be reacting to the moment and swimming against the current versus with the current or trying to find the current. That reminded me of juggling difficult ethical quandaries or mm -hmm. thinking about what is the correct thing to do in my life mm -hmm. or or politically at a societal level. What should we be doing as a society? And she also talks about references in Tanakh about the swelling up of justice and justice overflowing. Right, a reign of justice, which I thought was a particularly cool one. Yeah, 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 yeah. She talks about first reign, Yore. Mm-hmm, Yore Umalkosh. Yeah, yeah, which is related to Yara, the teacher to instruct, so mm -hmm. related to the root for Torah. So the idea of rain coming and permeating you, Yara means to teach or to permeate. And that's related to Torah. What was that music video that you showed me a while ago? That Orthodox lady from Israel. Oh, well, Victoria Hanna. I yeah. showed you a couple of her videos. You're probably thinking of the one that's called Hashanah. That's uh, where they're like in a classroom. No, 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 no. Not that one with all the psychedelic images. Oh, yeah. That one is called Oraita. 
which just means Torah in Aramaic. Oh my God, that is an incredible music video. Yeah, it's super, super cool. And I think there's a lot, I think that's all a quote from the Zohar. There's a lot of water metaphor there, I feel like. Yeah, just a second. I'll read. It's a really short set of lyrics that's just repeated. So if you give me a second. I'll pull it up. Yes, Rabbi Shimon wept and opened and said, Torah, Torah, light of all worlds, source of every spring and sea, all wells and rivers from you flow in all directions above and below. All come from you, most high, most low. Torah, Torah, how shall I describe you? A beloved doe, a gracious roe, above and below. Torah, Torah, who of your lovers may suckle on you? Delights of your master, who will reveal your well-hidden treasures? The Sippy Cup returns. Uh, yeah, it does. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Rabbi Shimon knew, okay? He knew what was up about drinking from God. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I really love one of the lines in there. All wells and rivers from you flow in all directions above and below. All come from you, most high and most low. Just really good and like really brings to mind like one of the qualities of this God metaphor, R.E. Water is like water is this, it's both ever present and also like you always need it you know like ever present and never there's never quite enough water water everywhere but not a drop to drink if you will there is water below us there's water above us in the sky and yet we're always like needing to draw it to the place where it's needed which i feels very true to my experience of god that like i definitely like in my core know on some level that god is everywhere but it's like, is the piping working at any given moment to like yeah, pipe yeah. the God into my life? Oh, yes, yes. I'm glad you kind of brought that up because that's kind of related a little bit to the text I brought. Oh, well, this is a perfect segue then. This is another step in our grand experiment as we just both brought texts today for rap battle yep 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 we're gonna do it you be the judge of who is a better <laughs> who's the better jew really that's what it right that's, that's, what this, is about. <laughs> that's this show if you all didn't know there's one day there'll be a final episode and we'll just tally it up and see who wins okay bring your text okay okay jeremiah chapter 17 verse 13 jeremiah prophet during and bullfrog bullfrog yeah, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Oh, that's so funny. I thought you were making a joke about how he's like the frog in the pot of boiling water. <laughs> I mean, he is a little bit, but that, that could be a whole episode in itself. It's true. No, he, he, <laughs> Jeremiah was a bullfrog in a pot of boiling water. Spiritually. Yes, spiritually. And also politically. He was trying to tell everyone that the shit was going to hit the fan, and the temple got destroyed, and then he wrote Lamentations. Basically, right. he's a giant downer. I mean, he was like a bullfrog, but like not really because he was like a bullfrog and he was like, God, like, let me out of this situation. God was like, no, stay in the pot, Jeremiah. In my mind, I imagine like the bullfrog doesn't really hang out with the other frogs as much, you know, like he's <laughs> kind of off to the side. Everyone's a little bit freaked out by like big bullfrog. He's social distancing. Anyway, he's a downer, but he in the book of Jeremiah is, you know, giving his prophecies. And in this particular line, he first refers to God as Mikveh Yisrael. So the hope mm. of Israel hope of Israel. Right. Later, he comes back and refers to God as Makor Mayim Hayam, like the spring of living water. Mm -hmm. And Akiva in Mishnah Yoma 8. Good old Akiva. Yeah, good old Akiva, our favorite Tanaitic guy. Bro, weirdly, I feel like he is the most heterosexual of all the Tanaitic rabbis. That's so funny. I have no reason to think this, but I've always kind of thought he was a little bit, mm, you know, 
weak wristed. <laughs> a wee bit lavender. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but I don't know. You you would know better than me. But he says, Omer mikveh Israel Adonai, ma mikveh mutacher et hatmayim, af hakadosh baruchu mutacher et Israel. So like it says, hope of Israel in Jeremiah, the mikveh purifies the impure. So too, God purifies Israel. So hope Mikveh sounds very similar to mikvah. So he's saying that, okay, there's a play on words here, hope of Israel. You could read that. Instead of saying hope of Israel, you could say it like mikvah of Israel. Right. So God is the ritual bath into which we plunge ourselves and our vessels for purification. Yes, exactly. There's some interesting other etymological connections to the word mikvah. It comes from the verb Kava, meaning to gather, and mm-hmm. that comes from the root kav, which means circle. And that, I believe, is first used in Genesis 1 9. Oh, twist. Layomer Elohim Yekavu Hamayim, Matachat Hashamayim El Makom Echad Vatera'e Hayabasha Vahichain. So God said, I will gather the waters from below the heavens into one place, and dry land will appear. And it was done. And it was done. Thank goodness. So there's this connection, this etymological and also proximity of use in Tanakh between water, hope, gathering, and mikvah. Mm-hmm. That reminded me of what you were saying. Like, God is everywhere, but like sometimes I'm not close to it. That's like the mikvah. You're submerging yourself in like the God force to get close to it. This is also sort of what God is doing here in Genesis is sort of the opposite action. As much as water is everywhere, but we always need to get it to where it's needed most. We also need to keep water away from where it's not needed. You know, like God is gathering the water to allow there to be space for life. Yes, this is a space that's safe from God. That's important. (laughs) This space is safe for non-God individuals. All this stuff, you know, mikvah water kind of reconnecting with the divine so you can feel the plumbing, feel those connections better. Maybe when the connections aren't felt, you're kind of in a state of impurity. When you're when they're felt, you're in that state of purity. Mm-hmm. Trying to use those terms in a non-loaded way is just simply how conscious you are of feeling the God force, you know? Right. And you know the submerging. I love it. You know, it's very... Oh, yeah. Mikvahs are great. I wish mikvahs were more accessible. They're like the best fucking ritual there is, I feel like. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I, I looked up if there are any mikvahs in Western Mass that, like, allow uh, men or whatever to go well, to you're them. you're not far from Maim Chaim. Where's that? Boston. Oh. Technically, I think it's in one of the burbs of Boston, but like Jamaica Plain or something, but it's great. That's where I went for my mikvah before bottom surgery. Oh, oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, uh, mikvahs are pretty sweet. Apparently, they were quite popular with conversos in the Atlantic world. Oh, I didn't know that. I learned that conversos, a lot of them were into sabotai because uh-huh. you know they had to not be Jewish outwardly, and so right. they could relate. Yet another reason to love Shabbatai. Yep, yep, yep. So they could relate to the whole, like, Age of Aquarius, Torah will be rewritten, <laughs> blah, 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 I'm blah, I'm just blah. picturing Shabbatai, like, in the synagogue right now, like, when the moon is in the seventh house, 
Baruch Hashem. Oh my gosh. Great. Okay. Sorry for the age of Aquarius sidetrack. So the idea of going into the mikvah, like you're in the diaspora in the Americas and you go into mm-hmm. the mikvah and you're being gathered, like we're all going to be gathered together. I like the gathering water metaphor because it reminds me of the kind of spring from which I feel like all of our consciousnesses come from and all of ethics mm-hmm. comes from. So water as gathering, the mikvah as a as a way of connecting with that universal God force stuff. It's all pretty cool. Right. Also, they've right. been pretty messianic. The conversos? Yeah, like the, the view of going into the mm. mikvah and the Sabbatai connection and the gathering of Israel all together in one place is very messianic for them. So when you were bringing this text, did it help you connect? Did the metaphor help you like talk about the phenomenon? Did the metaphor help me talk about the phenomenon? Yeah, like, did you get closer to God is what I'm asking. Did I get close? I get closer to God every day. See, that's just the kind of stuff you have to keep saying sarcastically like you're doing now because it will come true and it's going to get you. And then you're going to be like me years down the road (laughs) and realize that it's like walking through a fog. Eventually you get wet. I don't know if this time around it helped. I think we both mentioned like this was written for a version of ourselves that's in the past now a little bit. Mm -hmm. Wait, no. You know what, Hava? You're right. It helped. It has helped. It has helped. I like it. Yes. I yeah. like this I metaphor. I mean, it's hard. It's hard, like, to honestly assess a question like that, like whether something helped you feel closer to God. That's a hard question to sort of, like, get in touch with yourself and give a strong yes or no on. I guess it's nice to be reminded that the metaphor of God as water and the sort of the spiritual experience of water as being connected to God, I'm glad it's nice to be reminded that that is not like a new thing that lots right. of people experience. It makes me think I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's that's nice. Right. It's making me feel, what you brought is making me feel in this moment, like the God that's present in our pod, our pod God. Oh, our pod Earlier God. Earlier I talked about our like feeling like my creative juices are flowing again just thinking about like the flow in the pod as like a god phenomena not that that we are so wonderful but just that like the phenomena of feeling inspired definitely to me feels like a form of this flow that we're trying to talk about today yes yes yep and i feel like that's probably the most watery god feels for me is when stuff is like springing up springing forth Although, I don't know, floating in the ocean, that is a spiritual experience for me every time. Sitting on the porch during the rain. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I brought stuff, too. Give it to me. I brought some stuff to talk about a a very classic water thing. And we'll start in Ta'anit 9a, where uh, Rabbi Yossi, son of Rabbi Yehuda, says, Three good sustainers rose up for the Jewish people, and they are Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And three good gifts were given from heaven through them. And these are the gifts. The well of water, the cloud, and the manna. But ir bizchut Miriam, the well was given through the merit of Miriam. So this is the Well of Miriam, which briefly has come up on the show before we touched on it in a couple episodes when we talked about Pirkei Avot 5-6. 
the 10 things that were created on the eve of the first Shabbat. And those 10 things, for those of you who didn't instantaneously memorize them, were the mouth of the earth, the mouth of the well, a.k.a. the well of Miriam, the mouth of the donkey, a.k.a. the donkey of Balaam, the rainbow, the manna, the staff of Moses, the shamir, which is the magical stone-cutting worm, the letters, the writing, and the tablets of the Ten Commandments. This well, which was given to Miriam because of her virtue and it helped sustain the Jewish people, was a well of endless water. And this word, be'ir, comes from a, a root that is still also connected back to Torah, Yorah, all those roots that we we're talking about before, although it's often a little different branch. It means to break forth, and then that transferred its meaning to being to proclaim, to open, to clear, and it connects also to the root for to go. So there's this, uh, this well of Miriam, and it sustained the Jewish people during the exodus from Egypt throughout all their wanderings in the desert. And I brought a magical formula for one who wants to see this well. <gasps> whoa, whoa, okay, <laughs> okay, know. okay. Yeah, I have questions about how does this well work? Is it just like a pot? My sense is that it's a well in the ground. So it's like a well, like in a town building video game where you can like move it around. You can push the well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Okay. So, Amar Rabbi Chia, HaRotse Lerot Be'ira Shel Miriam, Ya'ale Lerosh HaKarmel, Rabbi Chia said, one who wants to see the well of Miriam, this is what they should do. They should climb to the top of Mount Carmel and look out, and they will see a rock that looks like a, a sieve, a sifting thing in the sea, and that is Miriam's well. And Rav said, a spring that can be moved, that is portable, and is ritually pure, and is regarded as an actual spring, not drawn water. What is a movable spring? It's Miriam's well. So basically, two parts, two main things here. Reb Chia saying, if you want to go see Miriam's well, all you have to do is go to the top of Mount Carmel, and you'll see a super weird rock in the ocean, and that's it. And Rav saying, what exactly was Miriam's well? It was a well that could be moved and also was ritually pure. So you couldn't make it impure. Correct. I mean, I don't know the full holocaust of the well of Miriam. I don't know if we'll figure that out until the Messianic age. Okay, okay. But for the most part, mikvahs, which are ritually pure, most things, mikvahs purify them rather than the other way around. You got to do some work to mess up a mikvah. I feel like we had something like snakes or scorpions or something like make things impure. I feel like we had had some sort of... Well, snakes and scorpions definitely can make some things impure like vessels, but I'm, I don't think they can make a mikvah impure. Okay. But then again, I'm not an expert on the laws, practical laws of mikvah. Like, that's not, that's not my table. So yeah, so yeah, I brought this just because this is like such a great classic banger of a, a tale about a magical instance of water. I feel like yours was uh, more easily like connect to a profound and immediate experience of God, but Miriam's well, you know, it's so easy to appreciate it as a miracle because it defied sort of the natural order of water that we've been talking about this whole episode which was that like it solved the problem of water being everywhere 
but not having it when you need it. I'm really into the idea that it pre-existed the universe. I, I oh, like yeah. that. I think that points to the spiritual power of water, and it's just cool that uh, the rabbis made arguments about things that pre-existed the universe. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of them make sense as as cool metaphors, like the words, the Torah, some weird thing having to do with water. You know, <laughs> the stone-cutting worm, that's a little strange. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they had a very well-reasoned argument about that. One of the things I really like about this sugya, which is from Shabbat 35a, where Rabbi Chia tells us how to see the well, is it feels like Rabbi Chia's instructions are incredibly general. And that that is actually like probably a good thing. I wonder if he was sort of invested in keeping the like hope and magic and belief of the power of Miriam's well alive. So it's like if you go up on Mount Carmel, you're going to see something that fits this description. Yeah, it's not actually on the mountain. It's off in the distance, right? No, it's in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of intriguing. Like you can't actually go and touch it. It's just you exactly. can go and see it. It's just far enough away to be inaccessible, but close enough to be real. Yes, it's a peep show. Which is, I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of into it. I'm glad Rabbi Chia is like keeping the Santa Claus of Miriam's well. It does sound like something you tell like a little kid, like a little Aramaic. <laughs> <laughs> a little baby. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's a, a sweet, magical, divine instance of water and like very... I don't know. There's a lot of qualities of Miriam's well other than just its wateriness that make it godly. You know, it's that it can fit your every need. It can come with you when you want it. It's not too much water. You know, it's not like flooding anything. It's like good for a backpacking trip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the divine manifestation of water in its purest form is like only there when it's needed. You know, it's usable. It's real. It's like present. And I like that. Hmm. So next time you're not feeling so connected to the divine, Hava. (laughs) Like a bitch. Like a bitch. You should remember (laughs) that Miriam's well is everywhere. Right. So just wake up to the universality of divinity. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I tell myself every morning. (laughs) I wake up and I say, Miriam's well is everywhere, Hava. I write it on my mirror in lipstick. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) <laughs> That's so... Miriam's well is always with you. Oh, I love it. While you're wearing like a white gown or something, like a ball gown. Yeah. I mean, there's also a lot to be said for Miriam herself. She was like this source of inspiration for the Israelites when they're in the desert. She was like this sort of spiritual leader working on an emotional level. And I feel like that is also connected to the the water aspect of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very mommy. Big mommy energy. Definitely. That's our, that's the, that's the headline. So one last thing I wanted to bring is from the Midrash, which is just a, a list of ways that Torah is like water, which I thought it would be wacky not to bring to this episode once I found it. Uh, this is from Shir Hashirim Rabbah. So the Midrash on Song of Psalms, chapter one. So, words of Torah can be compared to water, wine, oil, and honey. To water, like the verse, O all who thirst, come for water, from Isaiah 55.1. Just as water goes from one end of the earth to the other, so does Torah go from one end of the earth to the other. Just as water is forever living, so the Torah is forever living. Just as water comes from the heavens, so too does Torah come from the heavens. Just as water has many voices, so too does Torah have many voices. 
Just as water restores the soul, so too does Torah. Just as water cleanses the body from ritual impurity, so too does Torah cleanse ritual impurity. Just as water originates in tiny drops and accumulates into mighty streams and rivers, so too the Torah is acquired word by word today, verse by verse tomorrow. Just as water covers the shamefulness of the sea, so too does Torah cover the shamefulness of Israel. Just as water descends drop by drop to form rivers, so too does a person who learns two halachot each day until it is like a flowing stream. Just as water is not pleasing to a person who is not thirsty, so too is Torah not appreciated unless a person has struggled with it enough to be tired from it. Just as water leaves high places alone and runs in low places, so too Torah leaves alone someone with a haughty attitude and clings to someone with a modest self-image. Just as water is not kept in gold vessels, but the simplest vessels, so too Torah is sustained by one who makes themselves like a clay vessel. Just as a scholar is not embarrassed to ask a student, pass me some water, a scholar is not embarrassed to learn from a student a chapter, a verse, a word, or even a letter. Just as one who does not know how to float in water will eventually drown, so too one who cannot float and point out the words of Torah will eventually drown. And that's it. Whoa. Yeah, so that was a lot of things. A lot of them we mentioned already. One of the ones that really stood out to me that we didn't touch on a lot was water flowing to the lowest place, which I feel like is a really wonderful quality of water and of God. Just like in a lot of ways, like I feel like God is is most real to me when I am sort of at my, I don't know, at my least self-obsessed and also when I'm at my lowest emotionally, you know, and also I feel like there's this quality of like water always finds a way around, you know, like water moves forward, not by really changing its circumstances, but by like flowing around them. And I feel like that's a quality of water that is very magical and that I'm always trying to replicate in myself Mm, not by might not by power but by love well fuck (laughs) yeah i guess so yeah so there you know there were some good ones in there i feel like you know some some rabbi wrote shir hashirim rabba and was like you know what i'm just gonna sum up all the reasons (laughs) all in one what is the shame of the sea do you think it's the sea goat it's the word for shame here is is literally nakedness. So, I mean, I love your idea that it's the fish goat from our plowing the sea episode. Yeah. Um, but I mean, maybe there's some midrash about how the seabed is actually like nakedness of the sea. But you intuitively knew what it meant. <laughs> yes, yes. Somehow. I Somehow. Understood. And that's the power of God metaphors. Yeah, I feel like if the ocean floor was like, do you know the secret? to soft skin cover yourself in a couple miles thick of water 24 hours a day 24 hours a day no one will see your face it will be Uh, so smooth i often have a fantasy of like what if i could just be like immersed in a capsule of coconut oil and just like gestate in there (laughs) yeah 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 i have a similar thing except for me instead of coconut oil it's a it's a giant womb I mean, that's what a mikvah is, really. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. The womb of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it feels like we're naturally reaching a conclusion here, uh, flowing like water <laughs> to the end of this episode. Any final water thoughts? Um, You know, listeners, play with water. 
earth uh, imagery. God is everywhere. God is everywhere. Just like water. It's only a matter of drawing the presence of the divine to yourself, maybe. But remember, God, they are not water. You know, don't confuse the metaphor. Right. For the Although thing. We're, we're not a prescriptivist on this podcast. If you want to worship water, play ball, we say. Um, are, uh, um, uh, okay. Okay, yeah, sure, <laughs> fine. <laughs> we have our own perspectives, but I'm not going to stop anybody from, like, you know, their spiritual practice. No, I don't have the energy to stop you, so. <laughs> um, That's how nations fall, Michael. Dope. Well, I hope you all have enjoyed riding along this lazy river of Torah with us today. <laughs> and next week, we will bring you something else. It will either be another God metaphor or Russian doll episode or a listener question. Only God knows. Yep. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.